Hey there, everybody. Before we get started today, I want to remind everyone to use our Blick affiliate link when you order your art supplies from Blick.com. Longtime listeners know that this is my favorite way for you to support the show because it is effortless and costs you nothing. Just navigate to Blick using MessyStudioPodcast.com slash Blick. This will redirect you to the regular Blick website, but when you use our affiliate link, Blick will donate 10% of your purchase to the Messy Studio Podcast. I always recommend you just bookmark that link, then you don't have to think about it again. Just use the bookmark and you are supporting the show. Thanks, everyone. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about visual ideas. Artists often worry that their work is too derivative of another artist's work and may be very concerned about being overly influenced by someone else's style or technique. This problem certainly does exist in the art world and is something to guard against, and most of us do want our work to be original and unique. But in every field of endeavor, people build on and respond to the work of others. And this is no different for artists. Today we talk about building on, rather than appropriating, other people's ideas. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. And yes, it does seem to me that most artists do want their work to be authentically their own and personal and individual. And very few of us, you know, consciously, deliberately copy the work of other people. And last week on the podcast, we talked about authenticity. But I would say being authentic does not say that we're not influenced. It doesn't you know, negate influence of various kinds. Um, you know, we're never really creating in a void. So how can you manage influences without them becoming too much, too overpowering? Because really most of us, most artists do not want to be seen as derivative. It's it's a pretty negative thing. No, um, of course not. Yeah. And, and actually, um, it can be really startling to hear from someone that your work resembles someone else's uh, because you may not be conscious of it, or you may never have actually heard of the other artists they're referencing. <laughs> and when that happens, you feel off the hook a little bit, like, well, I never heard of that person, so I can't be copying. But otherwise, you know, you can feel, um, you can feel embarrassed, really, like exposed, like you're a copier. And um, especially if the person that you're being told you resemble is somebody in your own sort of sphere, like a teacher or a friend or, you know, a local artist or something. Um, well, and regardless of the legitimacy of the claim that you are derivative of another artist, um, it, uh, it it can still be very damaging both to your the way that others view you, your your personal brand, um, and. Uh, and and it can also just make it harder to differentiate yourself and stand out. So regardless of of the validity of that claim, it's something mm-hmm. that you do want to guard against. Right. And even even if you don't think it's true, you know, it can still get inside your brain and you start to think, oh, you know, maybe this little bit here does look like somebody else's or something. And you know, it's it's one of those little um uh, negative inner voices that can uh, be you know, it can be a problem in the studio. It can interfere with your own sort of flow. Um, well, and from the perspective of somebody who has had their work 
you know, copied to some extent. I mean, personally, uh, yes. for me, yeah. um, it's uh, it's incredibly hurtful. Um, and uh, and it's something that uh, I don't think I'll ever really be able to forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, it's emotionally uh, impacted me, you know, to to see something that I've created essentially ripped off. Right. Um, and if 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 you're the person who you feel someone else is copying you, um, yeah, that's kind of another whole topic. Like how, and we have dealt with this before. Actually, we had an early episode. Right. Yeah, I actually talked about when it happened with me on yeah, this podcast. I forget the number of it, but it was the number of the podcast. But yeah, so we we did talk about this whole um, issue of are you are you being influenced or are you copying. Uh, from both sides of it, and it's it's really a tough one because accusations can fly, you know, and and sometimes they're legitimate and sometimes they really aren't because something like um, something like a painting, uh, seeing into it the influence of another person can be, you know, pretty subjective, I suppose. Um, and for for ourselves, if we're the one creating the work, it can be um, very. Uh, unconscious and and it's also kind of a natural part when you're learning something um, and most of the time like if you're studying with someone and it's kind of natural to pick up on their style what they're doing and most of the time that is a phase and it you know it goes away you find your own way but this period of time when you're worrying about it and you're thinking uh, maybe I'm too close to someone else's work that can make you feel pretty insecure, really, can make you feel um, a little inauthentic, as we discussed last week, because what is you? You don't, I'm not quite sure. What, what is me? What is the other person? Um, and so the, the point of what we're going to be talking about today is, is, a, is a kind of a different way to think about um, influence and maybe a way to get past it. Um, because this, this whole thing about you know, we do we do want to find our own voice. We have a certain pressure to find our own voice, something unique about our, our work. And it can take a lot of time to get there. And if you're going through these phases where you're worried about looking like someone else, um, you know, that's a barrier, really. It, it, you know, then you're running away from something rather than towards something that's your own. But something that was in the introduction, I think, is really worth pointing out here. And that is that um, art and you know other creative practices, it's kind of unique that we're expected to be so individualized. <laughs> I mean, um, you think about other professions that people are engaged in, other jobs. Um, you know, maybe there's an expectation that you have new ideas, or like say you're a scientist and you're expected to do some original research. Um, if you're in business, you know, you want to come up with new ideas, innovations, but overall you're building on someone else's uh, stuff. And overall, most people, I would say in most jobs, just, they have an established pathway and and they may do it well, or they may do it poorly, but they're kind of, it's, there's a structure there that we don't always have in the art world. Um, and if, if you're doing something new in most other professions or jobs, um, you know, you might very freely admit, oh, yeah, I'm extending somebody else's research or I'm building on the idea of this other product and I know how to make it better or something like that. And so to separate out art and say, oh, but but we're always just 
you know, coming up with all this new stuff all the time, that it's not especially uh, reasonable or rational to think that way. I would say, um, you know, artists really do share a lot of ideas and approaches, even if they don't know each other or know of each other's work. Um, this, I mean, how many really basic ideas can there be? There's infinite variations, but um, nobody, artists don't really own, say, a particular shape or a particular color combination or something. It's out there. And these things are, um, it's easy to pick up on, on different elements of that and say, oh, but you're using so-and-so's shape or something. Well, <laughs> you know, that shape exists in the world and other people are using it. So, um I guess I'm asking myself and you and other people, uh, what do artists do that really is new and innovative? Um, you look at you look at art history and you see times when there were these really new movements like, um, well, in the Renaissance, the artists started using visual perspective and this was an entirely new idea that created this illusion of depth. Um, and I mean, it's like every art movement that comes along. There's some, there's some new idea, and and there's a lot of people participating in the same movement, though. And maybe there were a few people that stand out as kind of getting it going, and and the few people that came up with the really innovative things, and then other people join in and build on it. Um, and that's just that's art history, and we don't we don't necessarily see our place in art history when we're in the middle of it, right? Um, so building on ideas that other people are using around us is kind of the way it is. It always has been. Um, yeah, that's the way that knowledge and innovation work. Um, so it's, but I think that the distinction is, um, in adding something new and unique, um, and, uh, and, and not, uh, not relying too much on the input of others, um, trying to limit your exposure to that, even if necessary. Right. And so what the way I look at it is what's really happening for most artists just day to day in their work is that they're integrating things and they're bringing ideas together in new ways, new combinations, because that combination of visual ideas is endless. And so... And that's what that's what creates your personal voice. That's what makes your work different. And you um, is the synthesis of of various influences and ideas and things in your own life and your own experiences. And so this um, this influence from the outside world is you know it's fine. It's it's just going to happen. It's it's important actually because it's taking things in. But then your personal voice comes from translating it or interpreting it or combining it and and this is where it becomes yours but it also becomes challenging um and so you know we, we've talked about personal voice at different times in the podcast but here we want to really focus on what are the what's the role of these other influences because they exist and they exist for all of us um so that's why i i like this um, term visual ideas. And I just want to talk about how that's different from just copying somebody else's um, style or look or, um, you know, your first impression of their work or something like that, which is oftentimes what people worry about. 
Um, and the, and oftentimes people are accused of because there's this kind of uh, superficial first glance look at the work that looks like somebody else's. And, and yes, you do want to avoid that um, too much. You don't want your work to remind someone very strongly of another artist's work. And that sort of copying, as I said, it's kind of the more superficial aspects of what someone else does. And you really, it is possible to mimic that, whether you do it consciously or unconsciously, you know, that's where you may end up, just kind of the look of something. But the idea, when we talk about visual ideas, it's going deeper. And it's it's more about how that first artist, the one that you may be resembling, how did that artist think about their work? How did they approach their work? What were their ideas about it? Not necessarily the appearance of the work. Um, so this whole realm of ideas that uh, can be a really good point of departure for you, and you may come up with work that looks nothing like whatever was inspiring you. Um, and it's also a really good way of um, kind of uh, learning about art in general, because you're trying to get inside of someone's head, more or less. Well, and it's the the difference between uh, being derivative or even copying and being a fellow traveler with other artists. Mm. Mm-hmm. Really good way to put it. Um, because, it, or, or you know, uh, in conversation, which we've also brought up. So in a conversation, uh, an imaginary conversation, maybe with this other artist, and you're asking, well, what, you know, what's your work about? Where do these ideas come from? And then you have your own ideas in response to that. And you recognize, well, whatever the person's telling you or whatever path they're on, that's their path. You know, you're not, you're not going to uh, be that person, but you can interact with that person or you can walk beside them or something and, and learn from them. But it's not, uh, it's not stealing. It's 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 a different it's a different level of exchange. I think of visual ideas as being really open ended. Um, it's something that you might observe in another person's work that you know just kind of grabs you and this is exciting and pulls you in. Um, and you can take the idea back to your own work in a way that is your own. And it, I guess, in a way, it's saying it. It's not the particulars about a work; it's the general stuff about a, someone else's work. Um, so it's not a particular combination that they're using, but it's some general, more general ideas. Real quick, I got to let our listeners know about what's new at Cold Wax Academy. Rebecca and Jerry are busy preparing new presentations for their spring quarter weekly live interactive sessions. The topics for spring are shape, scale, and proportion, and self-coaching to improve your work habits and productivity. As always, there will be plenty of opportunities to interact with Rebecca, Jerry, and other members, along with critique sessions, feedback about your paintings, and of course, a deep dive into the three selected topics of the quarter. Cold Wax Academy has been receiving lots of rave reviews from members. They know it is the best online learning for cold wax painting available and the only membership program dedicated to this medium. Find out more at coldwaxacademy.com. That's coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get back into it. Okay, so uh, I realize I'm being a little bit vague here, so I'm going to give some specific examples in my own work over time. Uh, what visual ideas kind of grab me from 
work that really doesn't look like my work, but there was something there that I could I could use. <laughs> and and I think most artists will be familiar with this process where you look at something and you say, hmm, something about this is intriguing. And and one example really early on for me, actually I was still in high school, was I was intrigued by um Okay, this is going to sound. This is going to fully reveal what a nerdy high school person I was. But I found um, medieval illustrated illuminated manuscripts uh, to be quite intriguing. <laughs> so, if you don't know what these are, um, illuminated manuscripts were, you know, they were uh, scripture and sacred text illustrated by monks, usually, I guess, and they're tiny little images with incredibly fine detail that were made in books. And so I had a copy of these when I was in high school, and I would just pore over these tiny, tiny little pictures and looking at all the detail in them. So what this meant for me in my development as an artist, because I was drawing a lot at that point, was attention to kind of, I would say, really visual texture, like the way that patterns or small marks can create um, interest at that level when you're looking up really close at something. Um, did my work at any point ever resemble um, illuminated manuscripts? No. <laughs> but that idea, that idea of the miniature, of the tiny, of the intriguing, did did play a part and still does play a part. So, there's all kinds of examples like this throughout, you know, when I studied art history and certain periods of time would intrigue me for the ideas um, as much as for what I was seeing. And all oh, like um, the the Northern Renaissance painters and their beautiful sense of illumination and their work, um, contemporary minimalist painters um, with the way their work seems so open and so breathes sometimes, you know, it has a lot of... Um, uh, space to move around in. And so these ideas may not always coincide exactly because there's a lot of different ones, but the certain combination of these influences, um, and along with a lot of other people that nobody's ever heard of or whatever, or, or lesser known artists, I would say, um, you know, there's something about combining those different ideas that can lead to a personal style rather than ever really copying any of it. Um, and I I know that for a long time, for years, whenever I've gone into a museum, sometimes when I'm, you know, gallery hopping or something, I'll have a little notebook with me, a little sketchbook. And if I see something that kind of I kind of connect with, then I just make notes about the ideas behind the work, the visual ideas. Um, so maybe if I were looking at, say, a big Motherwell painting, um, I might write something like high contrast shapes or the impact of large scale or something like that. Um, sometimes I make little thumbnail uh, sketches of compositions that I like. And that's also a visual idea created in a visual form. And and I have to admit that a lot of times I never even look at this stuff again. But there's something about just making note of it that I feel implants it in my brain. And I guess the whole point of this is to say that these kind of general observations, what I'm calling visual ideas, they don't lead to copying. It's it's um, it, it's getting down. It's kind of distilling what you're seeing to the sort of impersonal observation 
about something. You're just looking at the form of the work, or maybe you're looking at the content of the work or the way they work together. But it's it's at a remove. It's not, how can I take this thing and put it into my work? It's more intellectual. It's more conceptual. And that allows it to come into your own work in your own way. Um, and I hope that's making sense. I I think it's um, it's a it's a distinction that's maybe a little bit picky, but I think it makes a difference to always look out at something as okay, that's their work, but what ideas behind it can I bring to my work? Um, it is harder to do this, I think, with somebody that somebody's work that you're around all the time, that you're constantly exposed to, like a, a friend, a teacher. Um, it's harder to step back from that because you you know the person and you're, you know, it's not a, a piece hanging in a museum or something. But what you're looking for is that little bit of remove um, to, to distill the ideas behind the work. And like I said earlier, in terms of a shape or something like, okay, the idea, like I just mentioned Motherwell, like the idea of bold shapes on a large scale painting uh, that isn't owned by Motherwell or anybody else, you know. I mean, that those are just ideas that could be brought into your work in your own way. So, um, so I guess the idea of like, okay, so you're in business, and you're right. you're building on other people's ideas and improving them because you're working with ideas. You're not trying to copy a product exactly as it is. Right. That yeah, that's absolutely correct, and it's um, I think that. As we explore access to new technology, um, being creative with that, it, it really opens up our options. And as long as we are exploring the limits of whatever is available to us, we're going to be in that in that space of innovating, creating rather than deriving from the work of others. Yeah, and that's that's the core of the creativity is, what are and I like what you said. What are the limitations of that? Where did that person stop? Where could you go on from there? Um, and that's what you're doing with cold wax. I mean, when you first started playing with cold wax, that was it was new technology essentially in the art space. It wasn't new. It had been around for a long time, but but I was not aware of anybody using it in the way that I was using it. Right. It had been used more like um. It had been a painting medium for decades and even going back further than that. But it was I think it was mainly used to just add body to the paint, so more like in the sense of thickening the paint. Whereas when I started using it, it was thin layers um, applied with say printmaking tools and trying then trying to exploit the layering of those thinner layers um, that led to the techniques that you know that I was that I started or was the innovator of. And yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, like the thing existed, cold wax existed. What can I do with it that's different? And I didn't even plan it or anything. It just happened out of uh, involvement. And I think that's also true uh, in this whole topic is that you don't need to take these ideas and figure out some master plan of what you're going to do with them. It's just taking them in and in a certain format that you can access them as ideas um, to build on and and combine in your own ways. 
Right. And, and and somebody could take those those same techniques that you've that you've developed and do create visual effects that are entirely different from what you're doing. And, yes. and really push those <laughs> boundaries in a completely different direction. Yes, and I love that. I love that when that happens. And say, okay, you took something I did and you made something really different with it. And that is what is exciting to me. And I don't think I don't think anyone as the innovator, I don't think the innovator innovator um, can truly honestly object when people do that. And no, I, of course not. You know, you can't say, well, that's my idea, and you can't even come close to it. There are artists that really guard things like that and, and regard them as rather secret. Um, and I've always felt that, hey, if you let it out into the world, that's what's beautiful about it. And people can do other things with it. Yes, you may have people that try to copy what you do, but, you know, what 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 is important about that? Not much. You more the bigger thing is that you've started an idea that other people can work with and that's you know that's the beauty of it that that puts you in a context of other people and your your surrounding environment that of artists that you expands you it expands them and you so i don't know i just think that's pretty exciting and i guess as artists we can all think well what i mean maybe our perspective is what visual ideas are we putting out in the world and and developing that other people will find interesting. Yeah, it's it's a it's a give and take and it's it's about giving as much as you're taking. Um and we're we're in a space right now just technologically where innovation is able to happen at such a rapid pace. It's really exciting actually. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's I think we're just starting to to realize the full potential of this this kind of massive communication network that we have in the internet and also the um the 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 things that have become available to us through smartphone technology um now through 3D printing um before we got on on the podcast I was talking to you about um the possibility of uh adding a CNC machine and an injection molder to my 3D printer and a 3D scanner and how all of these technologies are now open source and can be built in your garage and it's uh for for very low cost for very low cost as well and so these technologies that were once uh, thousands and thousands of dollars to, and you needed a full machine shop. You needed an incredible amount of space and money in order to invest in these technologies are now open source and widely available. And it's, uh, it's a really exciting time to be alive and, and to be, to be able to bring things into reality that were only conceptual in the, in the past. And this, and the same thing is happening in every area of our lives. And so to be an artist in that space and to be able to, to create new things using new tools and new resources that were never available to people a hundred years ago is an incredible opportunity. And it's something that you, you should really be taking full advantage of. And you, if you're, if you're stuck in a space of only looking at what other people are doing with this stuff and not thinking, I have these tools available to me. What can I do with it? Where, where can I push the envelope? I think that you're doing yourself a disservice. Right. And I, I think when you use the word tools, it's, it's really similar to the word ideas. I mean, these are visual tools that, right. that you can use. And I know even in the, uh, the, the realm of, you know, 
painting, which is can seem rather stodgy in a way, like um, as far as technology goes. But I know a lot of artists who are working with things like Procreate and Photoshop and things like that um, with their in in conjunction with their painting. So taking um, images of something they're working on and then trying out ideas before they ever put on the paint, you know, what if I added red here? What would that look like? And it's I haven't really done this myself other than I will put things into um, black and white mode, take a picture, put it in black and white mode to check out, you know, uh, value distribution, design, so on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But it's kind of uh, intriguing, really, that, you know, you can combine something like um, that sort of technology with with the very very old fashioned thing of putting paint down. <laughs> it's like it's exciting. It is, and and sometimes people tell you about this, and they're sort of like, "Oh well, I hate to admit it, but you know, I figured this out in in Photoshop or something." And I always think, "No, that's fine. That's great. You're you're using something new in a way that helps with your work. Is perfect." Um, and and then you know, just kind of going back to the idea of sharing. What if, um, you know, what if all this stuff that's now available to you as a 3D printer open source, if all the people that came up with that said, oh, no, I'm just keeping this to myself, uh, you know, it wouldn't be growing the way it is. And that's, I mean, I think that's that, that's to be said in favor of of sharing, of, you know, of being open about things and knowing, and realizing people will take it in their own ways and do things with it. Yeah, and with with the 3D printing technology, um, you've kind of encouraged me maybe to put together some kind of guide or something for for artists who are interested in this because it's one of those areas where I think especially listeners to this podcast can benefit so much from it because what you can do with things like textures is incredibly powerful. Um, you can actually start with, with something that you drew with your own hand um, or that you uh, developed from uh, an existing photograph that you took or uh, some other piece of, of uh, visual media that you're working with. And you can actually bring it into, uh, you can scan that into your computer. You can hike the, the contrast and adjust the brightness levels for the amount of detail that you want. Um, and then I use a program called, I believe, uh, Inkscape uh, for uh, rendering bitmap and uh, vector-based images. And you can actually... Um, save files in a file type where you can upload it to a CAD program that's a browser-based CAD program that's it's completely free called Tinkercad. And it'll it'll render as a three-dimensional object based on this two-dimensional image that you created. Um, and so this can be used to do custom textures. You can you could uh, create, for instance, say a, a custom roller that you could roll onto your artwork with the custom texture that you created. So the the ability to use this technology in really innovative ways is kind of boundless. You know, this is just like a, a, a an idea that I came up with, you know, but there's so many different things you can do oh. with this as well. So you so you came up with this idea that you could use it for a textural effect. Yeah, there are other people that have um, that have put textures onto other objects and things like that. Um, but the idea of, I don't think anyone else is doing this thing that I, that I just came up with, with like a roller. Um, and that's such a, that's a great, such a great example of you're working with an idea, you're looking at a, a tool, a technology, 
what what can I do with it? You right. know, it's the same. It's that same really creative process. That's exactly what we're talking about. I'm not sure how useful Tinkercad is for working in those textures on a curved plane, um, but there are other open source CAD programs that can do that. Um, I believe Mesh Mixer is is one that uh, that can render those textures on a curved surface for like a if you wanted to 3D print a brayer that could yeah. do this for you. Well, this is this is this would be great as a as an ebook or something. That's all I could say. There's so much to it. Yeah, it's it's so hard to describe just in a visual medium. Um, but yeah. uh, listeners are just gonna have to take my word for it. This is this is actually not very complicated. This is, <laughs> yeah, the, I, and, and this this is uh, this is technology that is available to you at a low cost that you can do. Like I promise yeah. you, you can do this. You if you if well, you just start diving into something like Tinkercad, for instance, is basically just building objects with basic shapes in a in a three dimensional plane, and it runs in your browser. Um, so it's it's something that you can go there right now if you're a listener. You can go to Tinkercad.com and just start playing around with it, and just realize that there are these technologies. There are um, th- there are tools and and uh, both software tools and hardware tools that are available to you at a very, very low cost. Um, you know, wow. we're talking two hundred dollars in investment in some. In, yeah, you could you could definitely spend that on just a couple of art tools. Oh that yeah, you bought and and, and yeah. the possibilities for what you can create with this technology is is really it's it's this is envelope pushing stuff. This is this is if you're worried about being you know derivative of somebody else. I'm promising you, take this technology, take what I just told you, and go and create something that's based on your stuff. And it, there's no way that anyone else is going to be creating something similar to this. Yeah. Well, that's that's a it's a bit of a side trip, but it's very interesting. <laughs> but I think it just it just illustrates uh, that sort of open attitude to ideas, to new ideas, to new tools that you know, you can pull from and take in your own direction. Um, and, and you're, you know, you're creating something from ideas that, I don't know, I think every, I think you can assume that every artist out there has these, has some basic visual ideas, and then there are infinite variations on them. And there are basic ideas and technology and infinite variations and there are basic ideas that have to do with sort of concepts about art and, of course, infinite variation. So I think there's just so much excitement that, you know, once you get beyond the 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 concern about copying more, a more superficial aspect of someone's work, which you shouldn't do, and getting, you know, getting into this other realm that's more conceptual is just fascinating. Um, and that I, I keep getting back to the idea that this essence of creativity is is synthesis, it's integration, it's it's pulling things together in different ways, which advances the idea. Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Uh, yeah, and that I mean, just to just to reiterate that if you are concerned that your work is derivative of someone else's, um. And and it really is a, it's a common concern and it's a common thing that happens if you're not on top of it. But 
but to just try to pull a few ideas, whether they're visual uh, things you see in the work or conceptual things, and and then mix that up with some other things. And because because of that aspect of of integration and synthesis, so you're taking you're taking a few of someone's ideas, visual ideas, and you're taking some from some other place, and you're adding in some that stem from your own personal experience and interests, and you're creating something new. And that's a lot to work with. So I think we find this middle ground where we we acknowledge influence and we transform that influence in some way that, that speaks to our own selves, our own experience. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and Cold Wax Academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.